What's up, everyone? Welcome to the latest episode of Solving the Mysteries to Success. We've got a really special episode for you today. Um, this person has been in the workforce for quite some time and, you know, different from our previous guest. Uh, so they're going to, this person is going to shed some light, you know, uh, all the way from undergraduate career to all the way, you know, six, seven, eight years into the work life atmosphere. Uh, her name is Ruchi. How are you doing today, Ruchi? Hey, Dave. Doing really well. How are you? I'm doing well, you know, just trying to, again, stay, stay sane in this quarantine. Uh, yeah. I hope, hope you're safe uh, where you are, wherever you are as well. You know, let's get started with the first question I always ask my guests. Uh, you know, take us back to your undergraduate experience at Berkeley and, uh, you know, doing uh, business uh, at the Haas School of Business. Anything you would tell your former self after all these years from college? Yeah, well, I loved my time at Berkeley, and I wish I could be an undergrad again. Um, I just loved everything about the city and the campus and the business school, um, the people, the food, everything. I really reminisce a lot. Um, yeah, I think if I could give my former self any advice after all these years, um, I would, one, really focus on developing strong friendships because there is truly no better time in life uh, to make long-lasting friendships, lifelong friendships, um, over those four years that you have in college. So, you know, maybe that means spending less time dating or less time studying even in order to make these friendships. I would focus on class, but not really worry about grades as much since they don't matter. Um, they don't matter as much. And I would choose your major wisely. Don't avoid a major just because the classes are hard. Um, so really think deeply about what you want your career to be in the long run and don't just focus on the first few years out of college. I think that's an easy mistake to make, um, kind of just posting through college, thinking that, you know, you can do whatever you want after, but I think the major does matter. Um, the internship after junior year is important too. I wish that I had chosen a better one because I had to re-recruit my senior year and I would have much rather had that entire uh, senior year to enjoy and have fun without that recruiting pressure. So I interned at PricewaterhouseCoopers in tax, even though I knew that I would never want to do tax long-term. I did it more so because I had heard that PwC internships are a bit of fun and you know you go to Disney World and LA and I really chose it for all those wrong reasons, clearly. Um, but luckily, at least PwC has a great brand name. Um, I would also, one piece of advice that I would tell myself is to pursue consulting. Now I really see how valuable a career in consulting or even investment banking could have been. Those interviews to get the job are harder, but, you know, just prepare for them and try to get them because if you do consulting for two or three years after undergrad, then that firm will most likely sponsor and pay for your MBA. And this is a huge expense that you're saving. And they'll also guarantee you a job after your MBA. So you can spend those two years at business school enjoying it fully and not worrying about recruiting, which I think is just huge. Um, and even if you don't want to go to business school, it also sets you up for a wide variety of positions after. So I kind of think of consulting as this magical little role, and I wish someone had told me that when I was on your track. Yeah, that's some really good advice. Uh, you know, I didn't know about the consulting uh, firms really paying, you know, paying for your MBA and, and uh, you know, basically giving you a job afterwards. So that's uh, that's something to yeah. keep out keep out uh, in the line for pe for young professionals. Uh, let's tra let's transition to the, your first job after undergraduate. Uh, you work at you worked at Wells Fargo as a financial analyst. What was the process of la landing that job during your senior year? Uh, 
And what does it really mean to be a financial analyst? Yeah, financial analyst is such a vague and broad term, which varies significantly depending on the company you work at. I originally wanted to be a financial analyst at a tech company called Symantec. Um, so interview, did the on-site interviews, the phone interviews. Um, I think there were like six hours of interviews on one day. And I got the job. I was really happy. Um, but I was on vacation in, 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 in India at the time. And I didn't realize that the offer letter had an expiration date. <laughs> and I did not sign in time. And they actually rescinded my offer. Luckily, I also had another offer at Wells Fargo in commercial banking. So I took that instead. And so I didn't know much about commercial banking, but it's basically when you're giving mid-sized loans to commercial businesses. And in my office, we were specifically giving loans to clients who own properties, such as stores, hotels, motels. Um, and as an analyst there, I looked at our clients' financial statements, made sure that they were abiding by loan covenants that Wells Fargo had set when the bank had granted them a loan. So I was doing industry research and um, all in an effort to ensure that our clients would be able to repay their loans. It was a two-year program, and then instead of continue, continuing on with them after those two years and becoming a relationship manager at the bank, I looked for a new job. So when I was recruiting, I just knew that I was a business major, and I didn't want the hours of an investment banker, but I did want to remain in finance. I liked numbers. Um, I liked my business classes, and I thought that finance was a broad enough field that it could set me up for success in whatever I wanted to do after. Right. Uh, so that's a, that's a crazy story about the Sem- Symantec. Did you did you yeah. have did you have any um, you know any any way to get back that offer, or just go to the company and be like, hey? Or is that something that you have to be, you know, extremely careful when, you know, you get an offer that you you do at a time and do you sign it in a timely manner? Definitely be careful. I had given my verbal yes, and I, because I was in India, I didn't really read every detail of the offer letter as closely as I should have. And even when I went back to the hiring manager and people on the team, I mean, uh, no one was willing to budge on that. So. Yeah, Definitely. that's yeah. So that's a good piece of advice. I mean, you want to read the fine print and anything uh, that is yep. given. Uh, so, when you got that first job at Wells Fargo, what were you expecting? Uh, you know, you talked about this a little bit beforehand, but you know, you know, obviously classes are a lot different from the work work style. What was that first mm-hmm. week? What first week like on the job? And you know, what were your expectations? And what was it actually like? Yeah, I think quite honestly, the first week was tough. You know, I was 21 and working eight to nine hours at a desk, and it seemed a bit boring. It's just a long day after college life where where your schedule is so much uh, more in your control and varied day by day. I was also at Wells Fargo, and so that meant more of a conservative environment with mostly older adults, and we were wearing business clothes, um, and I was being trained, and the whole commercial lending world was so new to me, so everything felt difficult. But I really just recommend that no one get too upset or overwhelmed in the first few weeks of a new job straight out of college. There's a steep learning curve, and it's so different from college life. But rest assured that you do very quickly get used to working 8 to 10 hours a day. And after you get the hang of things and start making your coworkers and their friends, it becomes quite enjoyable and routine, you know, before you know it. Did you, you know, you talk about routine. Any advice? on, you know, building a routine straight out of college because, like you said, like, the schedule is so different. You know, you're not the 9 to 5 in uh, during undergraduate uh, career. What was your uh, biggest uh, battle to take on when developing a routine? Yeah, 
I think one thing is really optimizing for your evenings and weekends. You know, the, the pro is that you don't have homework and you don't have to study at night. Um, but it's also easy to fall prey into just becoming lazy and being tired after a long day's work and just sitting on the couch and not doing anything. And I think the time after you graduate, it's a really crucial time to keep in touch with all of your friends, even though people may have spread out across the country, uh, moved away from each other. You're not living nearby as you were in Berkeley or wherever you went to college. Um, so I think it's important that you, you know, you could do happy hours with coworkers, number one, keep, make them friends because having coworkers as friends really just completely changes how much you'll enjoy work. Also do dinners with old friends or go to the gym with people. But I would say just, you know, not to fall prey into just becoming a couch potato after work. Um, and, you know, or go to the gym in the morning, whichever, whatever you prefer, but staying, staying active and staying in touch. Yeah, so really utilizing your time after work, um, you know, and, and just, you know, spend it on hobbies and, and keeping in touch with friends is, is the message mm-hmm. I'm hearing. Uh, for the differences in, like, social dynamics, you know, uh, you talk about this, like, you know, going out with your coworkers, but was there anything at, at Wells Fargo that for the new graduates they had, like, social gatherings for people to meet, you know, uh, new people. Were there any things that you went to um, in the Bay Area to, you know, meet new people? Because I feel like in undergraduate career, you can go to clubs, you can go to, you know, the house next door, and you can make friends that way. But, you know, obviously in, in work life, you're just spread out so so much that it's hard to find everyone. Yeah, that's true. So aside from just coworkers, um, during my time at Haas, I had gotten some scholarship, I think it was called Financial Executives International, and they continued to have events for local professionals as well as alumni. And um, even though sometimes it would be difficult to make it after work, I would force myself to go to their monthly meetings because that way I got to network with uh, professionals from all different industries. That was important. I think there are a lot of different networking events. Um, I also think at Wells Fargo, my experience was different because I was in a small office where I had one person train me. But I know that um, later when I joined Uber, for example, they had something called Uberversity, where it's a training program for 100 or 200 new people. And so different companies have different ways to train you, and you might be it might be easier to meet people from different departments as well in the company. Um, but in terms of just like social dynamics at work, you know, workplaces can always be full of politics. So um, I think there are three things that you should always um, watch out for. One is to never badmouth a fellow colleague, even if you're telling another colleague that you might have befriended or that you trust. Um, number two, it's always important to go the extra mile and say yes if anyone asks you for help, because one day that person might become your manager or they might be participating in the group who's deciding on your promotion. And three, just in general, be cordial with everyone and don't get sucked into politics, even if others try to pull you in. It's really good to um, keep it cool with everyone, in other words. No, that's some really good piece of advice for any uh, uh, new grad going into the work uh, force because you don't see that in the classroom uh, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, so let's transition. After Wells Fargo, you um, you did a you know social uh, enterprise fellowship in India with Tala. What was the process of landing that? You know, what made you want to go out and go to India and, and work um, for the fellowship? Yeah, there were a few reasons at that time, and it just kind of all worked out. Um, at that time, but I was working at a company called Electric Cloud, 
I'd been there for two years. I felt like I was hitting a bit of a plateau, wasn't growing and learning as much as I would have liked to. Um, so I wanted to switch careers anyways, but I also always had the side passion to help out the less advantaged in India. I'd been going there year after year to visit my relatives, saw the immense amount of poverty over there, wanted to help, but didn't quite know how. Um, so I, you know, I think it's important that if you want to help, you do need that first-hand experience in being there to see the environment and determine what are the challenges and issues that people are facing and then appropriately help. So I was, I saw the fellowship posting somewhere on a job board's website and just applied and emailed them and it was persistent. Um, and then finally took the leap and quit my job and moved to India. It was a six-month fellowship, which made me feel better about it because I was hesitant about the entire thing. And a lot of the other social enterprise uh, positions and fellowships that I saw were for one year. So this half a year felt better to me. Um, it was difficult to explain to my parents, so, you know, what I was doing. And they worried about me moving to a, new, a different country and giving up my stable career for this unknown path. Um, and then when I got to India, working there was very different from what I expected. It was a nine-person startup, so of course, in a very early stage, a bit disorganized, plans changing all the time. I think I had envisioned in my head that I would be um, kind of treated, or acting like a local, living in one city for six months and getting an apartment. But instead, because of through work, I was moved around to four different cities there. Um, but it was also really exciting, and I got to you know spend time in the villages and uh, talk to so many different types of people, and as well as banks and microfinance organizations. So it was an experience that I won't get to have again. So I'm really, really glad I did it. Um, it is important, I think, to do these things while you can, maybe while you're single and before you have kids. Um, but it's also important to have the savings financially to be able to go and pursue these because um, they're often not as high paying as a normal job would be. So it's that balance. And I think after, for me, it was four years after working, I was able to pursue a side passion like this. Yeah. So, you know, I think the biggest hurdle for a lot of people is, you know, how did you, uh, you kind of talk about this, but how did you like say like, okay, you know, I have a stable job. How did you just say, you know what, I'm going to go do something different. You know, what, is there some kind of point you come to a realization that, Hey, I want to go do this. Or was this a gradual uh, process of, of thought, thought process? Yeah, for me, I'm pretty risk averse, so it was, it was more gradual. I had begun to look at different organizations and NGOs and nonprofits that maybe I could just volunteer or uh, work at here first, such as Kiva. Um, but then when those weren't working out, and because I wanted a new job in general, is when it, it made sense. I think if I was really enjoying my job or the company I was at, then I would be in that mindset to give it up. Um, so everything aligned at that moment. Right. No, yeah, and I think um, you know you talk about it when you when when you have a lot of time and and you know the abundance mindset is 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 what I kind of hear from it. You know, go out and seek out that opportunity that may not be there in ten years from now. Um, yeah. The let's talk about your experience at Theranos. You know, for the audience that doesn't know, you know, there's a big uh, kind of scandal around this company. Some a dark cloud. Obviously, it went under. <laughs> Uh, yeah. telling telling people that you can, uh, you know, draw blood from the instant of your finger and get results of what you have and what you don't have. You know, talk about that experience, coming back to the States, working for a company like Theranos. Was it as bad as it is perceived or was perceived in the media? <laughs> yeah, that is really funny. I'd come back from India, was recruiting for a new job, and this was in 2013. 
So actually, um, Theranos was still very private at that point. They were still in stealth mode. Um, so they, during the interview process, they couldn't even fully disclose to me what their product is and what they do. All I knew was that it was a healthcare startup and that it could really change the face of healthcare. And um, the CEO, the COO, they both interviewed me at the time, and I, you know, I really admired Elizabeth Holmes, and I, I found it interesting, and I was pretty excited about joining. And so then for the next two years while I was there, it was just on the up and up. Um, none of the, um, none of the, I guess, the truth or whatnot, the um, scandal came out until later in 2015, I believe, after I had left. So while I was there, it was um, the company was doing well and growing, and there was a ton of work to be done. I left because I just didn't love the company culture. I had no idea about the, the products not being accurate, but um, yeah, I didn't like the culture and decided to leave. But um, on that note, I also really recommend the book Bad Blood if you haven't already read it. It's very good. <laughs> yeah, that's the book for the audience that doesn't know. It's the book just everything about Theranos, the CEO. Elizabeth Holmes and, you know, gives you the full 180 of the picture of what the company was like. You know, you talk about work culture. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, what are some of the things you look out for? I think, you know, as young professionals, it's really about uh, sometimes money, sometimes the role, sometimes, uh, you know, the coworkers. But as a young professional, what do you think are the, some of the things that a person should look out for uh, as, like, the basis of their of their career? Yeah, it's such a good question because I feel like it almost should keep changing as you go longer, at least for me it has. Um, I think if you are, if you go down the consulting or investment banking route, then maybe your first two years you're working a ton, you're also making good money, but you might not love the job, but you're doing it because you'll be set up for success later on down the road. Um, I didn't do that. I, you know, joined Wells Fargo, which was more of a traditional environment. I realized I didn't really love that. Then I joined Electric Cloud, and I loved working there. And that was not because of the role or the money. It was all because of the coworker friends I had there. Every day I looked forward to going, and it just felt like a like a home, really. So it it matters tremendously, I think, um, having peers that you have befriended. And um, and then, of course, you, you have to like the company and you have to like the role. But for me, culture and friendships matter the most in a company. Um, and at Theranos, what I didn't like about it was the, the – I guess a few things. There was a lot of monitoring and there was um, – we weren't encouraged to be friends with our coworkers as much. And we were all encouraged to work long hours. And there wasn't that culture of transparency, which I actually didn't even realize what a, what a great culture could be like until I joined Uber, which was after. And after now I know all of the things that I really would look for in a company. At Uber, we have, like, all-hands meetings every Tuesday for the entire company where the CEO speaks, and I really appreciate those meetings. They're very interesting. Um, and there's just a lot of transparency in general. And there's a, um, there's a culture where everyone is working hard but also having fun. So these are the types of things that I would definitely look out for in my in my next couple of roles. Yeah, um, you know, the culture is so important. I think it's, it's when it's the moment you walk in the office and the moment you walk out. You know, you want to walk in with a, just as much amount of energy that you have as you're walking out, and I think a lot of that yeah. has to do with, do with the environment uh, that you're placed in to work. Uh, for you know your next steps, you you go on to pursue your MBA at, at Kellogg. Uh, what were the steps? You know. At one point, I think a lot of like young professionals, you know, my like myself, 
when we go into that workforce, we're thinking long term, you know, you know, for maybe pursuing an MBA and, you know, putting together a solid application. What were the steps you took to build a solid application? At what point did you start putting that plan together? Sure, yeah. Originally, I didn't think I would want an MBA or to go to business school because I had gone to HUD. And I kept hearing different feedback from uh, technology companies about, is an MBA valued anymore or is it not? And then when I was at Uber in 2015, I was debating whether I should take my GMAT or not. I began to look up the kind of LinkedIn profiles of all these um, managers and directors at Uber, and I noticed that they all had their MBAs. Maybe it was 10 years prior, but they all had it at one point. And so I thought maybe it can't hurt to go get it. So because I had already been working for seven years, I didn't want a, t- a full two-year program. So I was looking for the one-year MBA programs, and there aren't a ton of those. But for me, it was it came down to either INSEAD, which is actually in France, or Kellogg. And um, and working for seven years, I do think is longer than normal. In hindsight, I may have gone sooner, maybe after five years of working. And had I gone sooner, a two-year program would have been fine as well for me. So studying for the GMAT takes a roughly four months. It is difficult to do while working. If you have an intense job and you're working a ton of hours, then it's extra difficult. If you're graduating, so if you're graduating undergrad and you have a couple months before your first job begins, I really recommend studying and just taking the GMAT and getting it out of the way. I know you probably don't want to study more after graduating undergrad. Just do it because right now um, you're in the mindset to study. You know how to and you have the free time to. And the score lasts for five years, I believe. So you... Sorry, one second. Sorry, I'm saying the score lasts for five years and you remember how to study so it's fresh. Um, after finals, just do it. But after work, it's really tiring to sit down and study for a standardized test. Um, I would primarily do it on Friday nights and weekends, and I would do like one hour on weeknights, and it worked out well. Um, I didn't do a physical course. I just used books and online resources. So it doesn't have to be this um, like a sit-down class or it doesn't have to get too expensive. Yeah, so, you know, is is that like the main advice you give your past self? You know, after graduating undergrad, you'd probably just straight up jump into studying for the GMAT. I probably would have, and that also probably would have forced me to apply sooner too, because then the score would have expired. So it's like a double, double, double bonus by getting it out of the way. Right, but you know, besides the GMAT for the MBA, is there, you know, how, because I, you know, you want to put your best application forward. Did you have anything in mind when you, did you have that in the back of your head when you're looking for your next role in the beginning of your career? You know, when you went to um, Electric Cloud, Theranos, all these other different companies, how do you go ahead and, you know, put that in your head that saying, look, I got to build the best application. So I have to make sure that I choose the next right job. Yeah, that's a good point. Work experience matters a lot. For me, it wasn't as thought out because I actually didn't think that I would be going to business school until later. Um, so for me, every move that I had, every career transition was just for the reasons, mostly because I felt like I was hitting a plateau and or I didn't enjoy the work and wanted to get some, uh, try something different. And so I got quite a wide variety of work experience as well as in different industries and in different types of companies before going to business school, work at really five different places. Um, so I think overall it's, it's advantageous because I realized what I wanted to do after business school and realized what I enjoyed. 
but at the same time, it's not super conducive to moving up the chain if you're doing all of these lateral moves and switching companies. It yeah. depends. If you stick in one field, then you know you can go, you can move up. But for me, I need to experience something to know what it's like. So I just have to try it out, and that's the only way I can decide that I don't want to do it. <laughs> one of the one of the biggest things that I find, um, you know, people wanting to go ahead and pursuing the MBA is, you know, the first question they get is, you know, why you want to get your MBA? I'm sure you've come across that question in applications and essays. How do you find that mm-hmm. answer as a young young professional? You know, because you know how much value an MBA brings. Like you said, a lot of managers and directors have it, but uh, to more to be in, you know, for yourself, what, you know, what is that value going to bring for you? Yeah, for me, it was mostly because it was almost um, it was quite a few reasons and they all balanced kind of equally in my mind. One, I did want a refresh on business classes in general. Um, two, I did want a, I think it's fun to go back to school and, you know, make friendships, form a bigger network that I wanted. And then um, the most important reason I would say is just to move up in my career. So as soon as I came out, I was able to get a manager level position. And maybe I could have by sticking at that company instead for that year, but you never know. Um, so this is just a kind of a surefire way to jump a level or two or three at the company. Right. No, and that, and that's a good point. Um, so let's talk about, you know, the, the mentors in the workforce. You know, for young professionals, uh, you've obviously worked quite some time. You're, a, you're actually a mentor at this point, you know, with so many <laughs> years, with so many years under your belt. How do you, how do you, you know, when you're younger, how did you go out and seek out those mentors? Is there, is there some kind of advice you can give the audience? So this is an area where I definitely need to improve still. I don't have a set mentor, but um, like I mentioned, I do force myself to go to those networking events whenever I can. And through my job, I also go to quite a few um, industry conferences. And sometimes even if they're a bit uncomfortable, you know, making sure to network with people, add them on LinkedIn, stay in touch. Um, For me, I, I think I get a lot of my advice from books, actually, business books. So there are some, you know, great books like Shoe Dog and Upstart, and they're really interesting. They're about companies and how the founders started them. And I almost view books as my mentorship. But I also currently have a mentor right now, and that I is actually of. Um, I was working at Uber, and they were a vendor for Uber, and he was a CFO. And just through natural, you know talking to him, uh, partnering with him, and after three years, it's just become a natural mentorship. I've never asked him to be my mentor, but he gives me so much advice, and we meet on a regular basis. Um, so I think that's important to meet up with your mentor, um, maintain that relationship over the years, and just be flexible to their schedule. But that is just an area where I need to improve because I think there are so many people that I could learn from, but it is a little uncomfortable to reach out initially. Like yeah, you know, for uh, in this in this sense, you know, uh, for someone that's obviously worked so many years and and for all the experience you have, let's say someone on LinkedIn reaches out to you, and mm-hmm. it's try, you know, how would you want to be approached for a mentor uh, relationship, mentor mentee relationship? Let's say on LinkedIn, if someone is a young professional, kind of going trying to go the track that you've went, how is that? How how would how would you want to be approached? Yeah, that's a good question. I think if 
I try not to say no if people want a referral or if they want advice, if they want a phone call. I would say if someone is reaching out, they should not um, only offer a meeting. Maybe maybe meeting for coffee is a bit difficult for this person that you want to be your mentor. So instead, say that you could ask questions over an email, over a phone call. Just kind of provide all of the options um, so that it doesn't have to be a big time commitment. And... Um, and, and trying to trying to make it as convenient for, for that person as possible. And I would follow up. Being persistent is important, but I think there's also a point where you have to stop trying. So after maybe sending two or three messages, you you know shouldn't continue to contact that person if they're not responding. So yeah, that, and, and, yeah, that's the baseline for any any sort of uh, advice to seek out mentor mentee yeah. relationships. Um, you know, your career goals, you know, you're obviously a very goal-oriented person. For uh, all your time after undergraduate career, were there times that you had, like, a two-year checkpoint? You know, how do you go about setting career goals for yourself? Yeah, well, before business school, it was more difficult for me. I jumped around a lot, and it used to be more spontaneous and often for the wrong reasons, like, oh, I don't like my commute or I'm bored of this job. Um, but now that I have my seven years of work, or now I have more than seven, but before business school, I had my seven years, I got that wide look of what's out there, and I realized what I like, and now currently what I'm doing in marketing sourcing um, is what I love, and I'd like to continue in that field for um, the foreseeable future. But for me, it did require experiencing and trying out different jobs along the way, and so I think that's okay. Um, you just don't know until you try something. Um, or, you know, you can talk to people working in those fields and really understand detail of what they're doing to try to determine it because um, this is definitely the lo- roundabout way and the longer route to try to actually work in those roles. But, yeah, so I, now I know that the type of role I like, but also the type of culture I like and the type of industry I like, which is tech. So yeah. for me, it required bouncing around, but I think um, there are other ways to do it. And in terms of a two-year check-in, not so much. Um, I do always have this kind of five-year plan, but then I also know not to not to really abide by that too strictly. Things just happen along the way, and you might get an opportunity. You might quit before you, you thought you were going to. Um, and now we know with COVID, things can change so, um, so immensely, and it's just a little bit unpredictable. So good to have a plan. And make sure that you're constantly learning, but I don't have really set goals for every two years. Right, right. Um, you know, that's really good advice. Uh, just kind of having in the back of your head what you want to do long term, but also being flexible uh, as the mm-hmm. days go by. Um, you know, we always ask our guests this final question, you know, what are next steps for you? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm not completely sure. I know, you know, the type of role that I like. Um, I think I want to stay in the Bay Area, but I do also want to start actively pursuing my passions on the side. The whole um, social work, social enterprise passion uh, still remains. And so, you know, trying to get more involved with the nonprofit that I volunteer for, I think there's never the right time. So it's just going to require, okay, you know, fixing some time out of each week to work on that or else years go by and you haven't actually done anything because you're so focused on the day-to-day, um, your day-to-day job. And one day, long-term goals, I'd love to open a vegan cafe. So I kind of want to stop saying one day and just start working towards these long-term goals. 
but I am risk averse, so I wouldn't quit my full-time job to do them. But just at the same time, you know, during nights and evenings and try to get it all done, <laughs> all that balance. Really. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, side mm-hmm. side businesses, side hustles has kind of been the the MO of 2020, you know, because Corona, <laughs> you, don't, you don't know what's going to happen, uh, uh, you know, yeah. from day to day. Uh, Ruchi, I want to appreciate you for, you know, spending some time. Uh, with me on solving the mysteries of success. I hope the audience could enjoy this episode. I obviously did. I think a lot of great advice, a lot of great content for the audience and young professionals to take away, uh, whether it be, you know, long-term goals, seeking out mentors, you know, you know, pursuing an MBA, uh, a lot of good content. So I appreciate you for, you know, giving your words of wisdom to the audience. Yeah, my pleasure. Enjoyed it.